Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we continue our study there in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18. Now, we are living in the midst of a, a sexual revolution. Uh, ever since the late 60s, early 70s, the, the sexual revolution has been going on. It started with this message, this slogan of uh, free love, which inevitably, inevitably means uh, free sex. So sex any way you want it, however you want it, with whomever you want it. And this has just been growing over, over time, over the last several decades. Uh, but this is not something that's new. This is not something that's new. Uh, Sexual sin has been in the earth from the beginning, from uh, the time of the fall. Sexual sin has inhabited the earth, has been a part of, of our culture uh, ever since. In fact, in the first century, Paul had to deal with so much of, the, of a sexual revolution, if you will, sexual sin, as we see so pervasive in our society today. Uh, he had to deal with homosexuality. He had to deal with this idea of free sex, sex with anyone, sex however you want it, whenever you want it. They had the same kind of mentality in first century Corinth as we see in our culture, the Western culture, especially here today. Uh, in fact, Corinth was kind of the, the Las Vegas of the ancient world uh, of the first century throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, uh, they had a, a kind of a slang term throughout the empire that, uh, you know, if you were uh, sexual immorality was called Corinthianizing. And so Corinth was known for their uh, sexual freedom, sexual perversion. And Paul is seeing some of this in the church. This, this kind of idea, this mentality is invading the church. And, and a lot of the people who were Greeks and now they've been transformed into transformed by the gospel they become Christians and they're having a hard time giving up their old ways and so sexual immorality is in the church and Paul is dealing with that in this letter of 1 Corinthian letter letter and so when Paul is as Paul is dealing with sexual immorality or sexual sin he's he's going to show us why sexual sin is so bad and he's ultimately going to tell us to flee sexual immorality. That's his message for us today. Because sexual sin is so destructive, flee sexual sin. Because sexual sin is so destructive, dear friend, flee sexual sin. It's not good for you. You need to run away from it. Take away, run away from it however you can. Get away from it the best you can. Stay away from it. Flee sexual sin. And so we see this in our text today, and we're going to see three reasons or three reasons why we need to flee sexual sin, three ways in which sexual sin is destructive, three ways in which sexual sin is destructive. So let's just begin this morning. I just want to read the, the text here. We're looking at six, chapter six, verses 12 through 18. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy, destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for 
the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God will raise the Lord and and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the, one who, the, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So as we look at this text, the first reason we need to flee sexual immorality is because uh, our sexual sin is because sexual sin is relationally destructive. Sexual sin is relationally destructive. I think we see this, it's implied here in this first little statement here. All things are lawful for me. Now, this is a, a Corinthian slogan. This is a slogan that, that, that uh, the Corinthians are, are touting among themselves. And Paul has heard this, he, he's discovered that this is something that they're saying, that all things are lawful for me. Now, where are they getting that? Of course, it could be coming from the culture, this kind of idea of free sex, right? Free love. Uh, but it's also very likely that they're getting it in some regard from Paul. Because Paul was a, a great defender of Christian freedom. If you go back to Galatians, if you go over to the book of Galatians, Paul is, is writing a church to the church in Galatia, and he is touting Christian freedom. The problem there was legalism. So you have these folks who are coming in and they're telling the, the, the church there in Galatia that you have to, not only do you have to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you also have to live according to the law. So you have to keep all these commandments to keep your salvation. And, and so they were making salvation uh, contingent upon obedience. And Paul, he, he, he couldn't go with that because our obedience is not contingent or our salvation is not contingent up, upon our obedience. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, period. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So we're free from the condemnation of the law. We no longer have to keep the law to keep our salvation. But at the same time, Paul is also a great defender of a faith that obeys, of obedience to the call of Christ for living the crucified life. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, Paul says there, what shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, there's a great pendulum here. On the one side, you have legalism where uh, obedience becomes a part of salvation. Your salvation is, is, is uh, contingent upon your obedience. You have to keep the law to stay saved. And the Bible doesn't teach that. But at the other end, there is Christian freedom. And it leads to this kind of idea of antinomianism. There's no law. We can just do whatever we want because it's by faith in Christ alone that we're saved. And so we can just live however we want, but we got to find that balance. And that's what Paul, that's what he preaches. He preaches the balance. 
Yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, period, exclamation mark. But at the same time, saving faith is obedient faith. It results in obedience to God's will. And so Paul, yes, he says we are free in Christ, but that freedom allows us the wonderful opportunity and the joy to live in obedience to God. And so Paul is going to counter this slogan, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or not all things are profitable. Now, he uses this same kind of terminology later on in chapter 10, verse 23, and he's using it in relation to the church and and relationships within the church. It's not profitable profitable because it it breaks down unity within the church. So I think that we can uh, kind of... Uh, get from this then that that Paul at least has in mind there that sexual immorality or sexual sin, it destroys relationships. It is relationally destructive. And, and we know this, right? We know this. This is this is this is just common, you know, common sense here that that sexual sin destroys relationships. He says it's not profitable. It's not helpful. The opposite of that is that it is destructive, right? It's destructive and it destroys relationships. It destroys family relationships. It destroys family relationships. How many marriages have been destroyed because of sexual sin? How many families have been destroyed because of sexual sin? It destroys family relationships. It destroys the relationship between husbands and wives. And it destroys relationships between the children. Sexual sin destroys family relationships, but it also destroys other relationships. Relationships with uh, those of the opposite sex. You see, here's the thing, especially with pornography, and they're starting to see this more and more, but it, it applies to uh, other sin as well, even if you're, you're sleeping around, going from one person to the other, you have the same kind of effect here. But pornography in particular, it destroys relationships with other members of the opposite sex. Because what happens in pornography, when people use pornography, uh, they begin to, to look at that and, and their mind begins to be trained that that person that they're looking at on the screen, there's no relationship there. But that person becomes an object of fulfill, object for filling a, a desire. It becomes a tool to fulfill a sexual desire. And so pornography has led to the objectification of women. In our culture, more and more women are being objectified because of the prevalence of pornography in our society today. Men are are men who view pornography on a regular basis. They don't see women as equals. They don't see women as uh, uh, someone to have a relationship with. People who look at pornography on a regular basis see women as objects to fulfill a desire. And that's it. They're a tool. Not a person, a tool. And so think about this, dear Christian. When you come into church and you've been watching pornography, you've been viewing pornography in your in, in your in your study in your bedroom, at the office. You've been looking at pornography. 
Now, when you come to church, no longer can you have a relationship with other women in the church. No longer can you see the women in your church as fellow Christians, as sisters in Christ, because now you're starting to see them as objects to fulfill a sexual desire, and it destroys those Christian relationships. So sexual sin is relationally destructive. Second, sexual sin is physically destructive. Sexual sin is physically destructive. As we continue on in our verse there, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Sexual sin is physically destructive. That is, sexual sin destroys the body. It destroys the body. Now, there is no better way to spread disease than through sexual sin. There's no greater way to spread disease than with sexual sin. So here's some statistics for you. According to the World Health Organization, more than one million sexually transmitted diseases are acquired every day worldwide. One million sexually transmitted diseases are acquired by people every day worldwide. Every year, there are estimated 376 million new infections with one of four sexually transmitted infections. Chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and trichomoniasis. So those are the big four that get, that get uh, spread through sexual sin. Three, uh, excuse me, 37.9 million people worldwide have HIV. 0.8% of the adults in the world, ages 15 through 49, have HIV, and an estimated 21% of them don't even know they have it. And they're continuing in their sexual immorality, their sexual sin, and continuing to spread that disease throughout the world. Sexual sin destroys the body. You want to contract a sexual disease, continue in Sexual sin. Sexual sin destroys the body. But also sexual sin dominates the body. Sexual sin dominates the body. That's what he gets at here in that, that second part of that verse. All things are lawful for me, but I will be dominated by, I will not be dominated by anything. Something to dominate you has control over you. You become a slave to it. And that's exactly what uh, they're beginning to study. Research is beginning to show that happens with pornography. Pornography enslaves the viewers of it. Addiction to pornography is a major problem. It's <laughs> epidemic here throughout the world, especially here in America. Pornography, though, perverts, it perverts God's intention for creation intention for the sexual relationship. You see, God intended us. He built us. He, he wired us for sexual intimacy. Here's what takes place when, when we get into a sexual intimate relationship with our spouse. 
when we see the naked form, when we see a naked body, automatically our brain begins to produce these chemicals and dump these chemicals into our body. It's chemicals like testosterone and dopamine that cause us to get excited and to feel pleasure. And that God created us for that. He created us to feel pleasure in sexual intimacy. Right. That's the way it's supposed to be. And when that's taking place, when that sexual intimacy is taking place within the bounds of, of marriage, oh, there's harmony and there's freedom. We are free to, to have sex and be in that sexual relationship with our spouse, and God gets glory from that. But when we pervert God's intention for that sexual intimacy, that sexual relationship, things get out of balance. No longer do we have freedom, but we have, we have addiction. We have slavery. Sin, the sexual sin, dominates our life. So here's what takes place in pornography. When men especially view pornography, the mind doesn't know that uh, that person on the screen or that person on the page is not a real person or it's not, you know, it's just an image. They don't recognize that that's not your spouse. And so when you view that image on the screen, your brain begins to dump those same chemicals. It begins to dump testosterone, dopamine, and all those other chemicals that induce that, that sense of pleasure in your body. And so your, your body be, starts to be, get addicted to that, right? It, you like that. You like the feeling. It, it's a, a, a pleasurable feeling. And so you like that and you crave it and you want it more. So guess what? You go back and you look again. You looked the first time, now you're looking again because, hey, you liked how it made you feel. And it's just like a drug addict because that's what it is. You, you're getting these drugs dumped in your, your body. And, and so now you enjoy the, the feeling. And so you want to go back to it again. And so you go back and you look again and you look again and you look again and you look again. To get that feeling. But here's what happens. As you begin to look more and more and more, your body begins to have resistance against those chemicals. So it takes more and more and more to trigger your body to release those chemicals. So that's why people often start with what's called soft porn, just viewing images. But then when soft porn doesn't do it for them anymore, they got to go deeper into it. And so they got to get hard, they, they, they get into harder porn and harder porn until they get into what's called hardcore porn. And it goes into all kinds of perversions. Because your mind is building up a resistance toward, for those chemicals that are being released. And so it takes more and more. And so you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the porn industry to find fulfillment. But then here's the other thing. As your body begins to build up resistance against those chemicals, it ends up where you're not even able to be in an intimate relationship with your spouse. You see, because now your mind has learned 
to be triggered, to trigger those chemicals, to dump those chemicals when seeing the screen, when seeing these perverse images. And no longer does it produce those chemicals when you see your spouse. So here's another statistic for you, or to get you really excited. Before 2008, before the availability of porn becomes so readily available on the Internet, before uh, the, the high-def streaming capabilities of the Internet began to dump pornography into our homes, right? Before you had to go out and buy a, a magazine or go buy a movie, and so people wouldn't do that. There was kind of a social stigma against that. But now, hey, it's coming free into our homes. And so, hey, you can look, right? But when 2008, before 2008, before the ability to stream porn into our homes, uh, the average, there was a, a rate of, of uh, erectile dysfunction among men under the age of 40 was about 2 to 3 percent. So before 2008, before porn streaming into our homes, erectile dysfunction among men 40 and under or under 40 in their 20s and 30s was about 2 to 3 percent. That's just kind of a natural occurrence. Things happen, right? There's, there's problems and things happen. But after 2008, that rate has risen to about 10 percent. Today, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 percent of men under the age of 40 10% of men in their 20s and 30s at their sexual peak have erectile dysfunction. They can't, they can't perform. And now while not all cases of erectile dysfunction is linked to pornography, there's still those who, there's just a, a biological problem there that, that comes in and takes effect, but they're finding more and more that in those cases of where there's porn addiction, Erectile dysfunction is almost inevitable. So, hey, you want erectile dysfunction? Look at porn, because that's where it leads. You become enslaved to it, you become dominated by it, and it destroys your life. So run from it, flee from it, get away from it, however it takes, whatever it takes, get away from it. Find you some accountability problems. Dear friend, brother, if you're struggling with porn and it's so, so prevalent. So many men struggle with this because it's so easy to get to today. You don't have to go to the store. It's right there on your computer screen and it's so easy to pull it up. And there's so many men who are struggling with porn addiction. But if you are struggling from porn addiction, repent. Turn away from that sin and you find some accountability. You find some brothers and sisters in Christ, especially some brothers, some brothers in Christ to help you. To be, be accountable to them, to help you overcome that addiction. Don't be dominated by sexual sin. Sexual sin is physically destructive. It will destroy your body and it will dominate you. Third, sexual sin is relationally destructive, it is physically destructive, and it is spiritually destructive. It is spiritually destructive. It will destroy your spiritual relationship with Christ. Look what he says there, verse 13. 
food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. I think this is another slogan of the Corinthians. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and then the other. And so in the, the Greek mindset, the Greek kind of philosophy of the day was that ultimately the kind of the lower, uh, the lower point of existence was living in the flesh. So the flesh is kind of the lower state of being. The higher state of being was the spiritual state of being. And so uh, they, they believe, they kind of had this mindset that whatever you do in the flesh, it really doesn't matter because that's in the flesh. And the flesh is the lower state of being. And so go have sex. Go do all these perverted things because it really doesn't matter because you're living for the higher state of being, the spiritual state of being. And so they kind of brought this kind of same mindset into their Christianity, into their faith. And so now they're looking at it and they say, hey, well, the stomach is made for food and the food for stomach. And so what they're saying is that that, hey, sex is a natural desire. Just like hunger is a natural desire, sex is a natural desire. Sexual desires are a natural desire. So what you should do, you should just feed it. You feed the hunger, so feed the sexual desire. Just feed it however you need to feed it. And they were going to bed with prostitutes who were all over the place there in Corinth. So feed the sexual desire. That's just like what we hear today. Today, in the secular world today, we hear the same exact thing. Sex, sexual desires, that's just a natural desire. And if it's a natural desire, it's okay to feed it. Just go get filled up on it. Do whatever it takes to fulfill that desire. But Paul says no. Paul says no. Look what he says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for sexual sin. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. We are made for the Lord. And the Lord, He died for us. And we're to live not for now, not for the here and now, but for eternity. That's what Paul is getting that here, getting at here in these two verses. Uh, these guys were, were living for the temporary. They were living to fulfill desires, fleshly desires. And Paul says, get your mind off of this world. Get your mind off of the temporal. Get your mind off of temporary, temporarily filling this temporary desire. You're living for the temporal when you should be living for eternity. They were diminishing their eternal rewards. And that's what sexual sin does. It diminishes eternal rewards. The desires of the flesh ultimately will end. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All of these desires are passing away. Yes, we will have a resurrected body with a stomach. We'll have a resurrected body, but the desires of this world are fading away. When we get to eternity, there will be no hunger because God will fill our hunger. We'll be filled by, by, the, by the, the grace of God. 
by the provisions of God. When we get to eternity, there will be no sexual desire because all desires will end. God will fulfill all our desires and we'll find peace and joy and and pleasure in him being in his presence. And so Paul says, get your mind off of the temporal and look to eternity. God created the body for eternity. That's what he's getting at here. Jesus died for the body. Jesus died for the body. He bought and paid for the body, not just the spirit. It's not just the spirit that matters. The body matters. The very bodies that we have today will one day be resurrected. They'll be made glorified. And these bodies that we have, they'll be made perfect, but it will be these bodies in which we will inhabit in eternity. Just in a glorified state. And so if these bodies are are meant for eternity then why are we using them for sin here and now? We are to use these bodies for eternity. Colossians 3, 2 through 4, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, when we are living in sin, we're not storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Paul's talked about that in an earlier chapter, about building on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, building eternal rewards in heaven. And when we're living in sin, especially sexual sin, there's no building up rewards, but we're hindering that. We're diminishing our rewards. So, dear Christian, quit living for the temporal and live for the eternal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not fulfilling uh, the desires of the body here on the earth. Flee from sexual immorality. It also hinders your relationship with Christ. It diminishes the eternal rewards, but it also hinders your relationship with Jesus Christ. Picking up there again in verse 15. Do you not know? That your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, this is filled with all kinds of good information, and we're not going to get into every little detail here. But, you know, as Christians, we have a spiritual connection with Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful fellowship with him. He he sends his Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit lives in us and abides in us. And because of that, we have a fellowship with Christ. But guess what? When we're living in sin, especially sexual sin, You see, sexual sin is especially reprehensible to God because here's what sexual sin does. Sexual sin is using our own bodies, bodies that Christ died and paid for. It is using our bodies as tools of disobedience. It's using our very bodies that Christ died for as tools of disobedience to God. And so when we commit sin, when we commit sins of sexual immorality, of sexual, uh, of se- sexual immorality, 
what takes place is that we begin to break fellowship with Christ. Christ can't be with us when we're engaged in sexual sin. Yes, if you're out there sleeping around, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend before you're married, if you're looking at pornography, if you're engaging in sexual sin, Christ is not with you in that. Your relationship has changed. Even if you're a Christian and you're saved, that that relationship, that fellowship is broken. Because Christ now has to become not a, a loving Savior, but a disciplinarian. He's there to chastise you, to break that sinful habit. You can't experience the, the love and fellowship of Christ when you're living in open disobedience against His Word. When you're living in sexual sin, dear Christian, you cannot enjoy the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You might be saved, but you're not going to enjoy Him. You're not going to feel the joy of Jesus Christ in your life. The fellowship will be broken. You can't join Christ with a prostitute. Christ is not going to be engage in your sexual sin. Sexual sin will hinder your relationship with Christ. Sexual sin, or John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments, Jesus says, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will lo be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. I will fellowship with him. But if you're living in sin, that fellowship is broken. Sexual sin is spiritually destructive. So Paul concludes there then, flee from sexual immorality, flee from sexual sin. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but, uh, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Paul says, flee sexual sin. Now that word there, flee, it's a, 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 a perfect tense verb, which means not only just kind of avoid sexual sin, it means to flee sexual sin and continue to flee sexual sin, to get away from it however you can, to keep running from it. Keep away from it. By all means, keep away from sexual sin. The image that I have in mind when we, when we hear this, when I hear this flee sexual sins, flee sexual uh, immorality, it is that which uh, comes from the Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's wife, you'll remember when he was in Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife, he, she, wanted to, she wanted to seduce him. She tried everything possible to seduce Joseph. And Joseph said, no, I'm not, not going there. Not going there because that would not only dishonor Potiphar, who has, has blessed me in his household, but that's a sin against God. And I'm not going there. But Potiphar's wife wouldn't give up. She kept seducing, kept seducing, kept seducing. And one day when it was just her and Joseph in the house, she reached out to grab Joseph, to pull him in bed. 
And Joseph said, uh-uh, I'm getting out of here. And he shucked his clothes and he went half naked out the door and he ran. He fled sin. He fled and he kept on fleeing until he got away from Potiphar's wife. He got away from that sexual temptation. And that's the same thing as Paul is saying here. Flee sexual sin. Get away from it. Continue to get away from it. It's not just avoidance. It's put some things in your life that keeps you from that. Oh, this is so important, dear Christian. Sexual sin will destroy your life. It will absolutely destroy you. It's like playing with a loaded gun. It will destroy your life. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your body. And it will destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, flee sexual immorality. Whatever it takes, get away from it. Don't allow sexual sin, don't allow pornography, don't allow all of these things to enter into your life and have dominion over them. Get away from them. Set up friendships, partnerships with other men and women in your life to, to be accountable to them, to keep you away from sexual sin. Don't let sexual sin destroy your life. Flee from sexual sin. Of course, today... The first step in, in fleeing sexual, sexual sin is turning to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because only Jesus can give you the power over sexual desires, the desires of the flesh. It's only when we, we are in Him, when we are made a new creation in Christ Jesus, that, that we are able to fight against sexual sin, sexual temptation. So the first step in fleeing sexual sin is to trust in Jesus. Give your life over to Him. Allow Him to give you the power to overcome it. Oh, dear person today, dear, dear friend, if you are, are out there and you're not, you've never trusted in Jesus, you're struggling with sexual sin and you've never trusted in Jesus, today give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. He will change your desires. And He will give you the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will give you power to overcome sexual sin in your life. And I just want to ask you right now, wherever you are, I want you to bow your heads. I just want you to, to think about these things. Think about what's been said today. Maybe today you have no struggle against sexual sin. The Lord God has purified your life and, and you haven't had that struggle. Then praise God today. Praise God today. Give him praise and glory that he has freed you from from sexual sin. But I know today there are many, there are many who are out there. You're struggling with sexual sin, whether it is you're you're engaged in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. And, and you that's dominating you. You're a slave to that. You need to get out of that. I want you to pray right now, Lord, forgive me and give me the power to get out of this situation. Or maybe you're addicted to porn. You're one of those. You, you just took one look, but then, but then you felt, it felt so good that you had to go get another look and another look and another look. And now you're addicted to porn and you can't, you can't help yourself. You just go look more and more and it's destroying your life. Christ will give you power over that. Repent of that sin today. Repent and ask Jesus to give you power over pornography. 
Repent and trust in Him. And then go to brothers in Christ who will help you, who will provide accountability for you so you can overcome that sin. There's nothing to be ashamed about. We're all sinners. But Christ gives us freedom if we trust in Him. Oh, dear friend, whatever the sexual sin may be, if it's having dominion over you, if you're a slave to it today, repent. Turn it over to Jesus. Allow Him to give you the power to conquer it. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the warning that we hear in this text today. Lord, You tell us. You tell us how bad it is. You tell us how how destructive sexual sin is for us. But Lord, over and over again, we tend to, to dive right into it. We allow the desires of the flesh to conquer us. But Lord, today, I know there's there's many out there. They're suffering from sexual sin. Such sexual sin is is dominating their life. It's destroying their lives. But Lord, today, let them gain power through faith in you, help them to gain power over sin. Oh Lord, win the victory. Win the victory. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.